you just come down front and see any of us, we, we, we love you. We thank you for being here to worship with us. Let me say one quick thing. I wanted to make clear. I've had some of you to ask me. We have recently changed our giving portal. For years and years, we've used PushPay. We changed that to Vanco, okay? Vanco, it's an abundant powered system that connects with our church finance program, and I know you could care less about that. But it makes it easier, plus it saves us a ton of money. So what I want you to do, everybody make sure you know, if you have been giving uh, through PushPay, uh, there's three ways you can change. Go on our website, click on the online giving tab, just says give, click on that. It'll take you to Abundant, and you'll just enter your new information. Okay, enter your new information, bank, credit card, whatever way you're contributing now, that's one way. The other way is to text airline BC give to 73256. And this information is on some cards out there to be on the uh, welcome slides. Text airline BC give to 73256. And do the same thing when you get there, just change your information, your banking info and everything. And the other way is if you just want to download the app you can go to abundant give abundant give app download it and when you get it open just scroll down we're really close to the top being airline okay scroll to the to that and you can click on airline and that'll take you to the same page all right everybody good with that raise your hand if you heard what i said <laughs> great thank y'all hey and again we're so glad that you're here today we're going to worship the lord who is worthy of all our worship amen 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 all right good to have y'all this morning we've got quez jeter with us leading worship today i know that you'll enjoy him so we're just going to stand up and we're going to sing let me pray for us and then quez can take it away all right let's pray together father thank you so much for allowing us to be together today in this place to worship you and to honor you with our voices and everything that we have. God, just remove any hindrance, anything that stands in our way of seeing you this morning. That's what we want to do. See you. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you in everything that we do. God, you have your way today. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. <laughs>
Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much that we can sing, stand here and proclaim your name, proclaim your goodness. Lord, we thank you so much for this time of worship. Lord, as we go into the message, Lord, just soften our heart for what you have for us this morning. Let your will be done here in this place. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And everyone said, amen. Well, amen and amen. It's so good to see you together in worship. Um, I ask you to pray for me this morning. I've got some sinus and chest congestion. And so um, it, this, if, if, I, if I squeak at some point, um, don't hold it against me. Um, but uh, so excited to see you. Thank you, Quez and the band for leading us in worship this morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. And uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I, I mean, of course, throughout the interim, um, Clint preached through the book of Ephesians and did a fantastic job preaching through that book. And I know Chase and, and Taylor uh, preached a little bit in there as well. 
And so I was kind of going back and forth of, of whether or not to include Ephesians in this Praying with Paul series. But I'll just be honest, the, the, the prayers that we're going to look at today are just far too rich to pass over. I absolutely love the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> and really, my love for the book of Ephesians goes all the way back to the birth of the church at Ephesus in Acts 19. And if you've never read Acts 19, I encourage you to go home and read it. It's by far one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. So basically what happens is Paul goes to Ephesus. And while he's there, he's kind of trying to reason in the Jewish synagogue there. And he's, he's not getting a whole lot of traction. The, the, the scripture says that they were, they were stubborn with Paul. And Paul's not really getting anywhere. He's not really making any headway. And so it says he just begins to teach, and he goes throughout this period of teaching, and it says about two years Paul taught there. Makes an interesting statement that all of Asia had heard the, heard the good news by the end of that two years. And then God begins to do some powerful things. So much so that it says that there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists. Could you imagine if you, if, if you owned a business if, and you got a resume and that was a job title listed on the resume? An itinerant Jewish exorcist. Seven sons of Sceva. And they see Paul doing miraculous things. And so they take it on themselves that they want to try to do this as well. And so they find a demon-possessed man and they go to him and they make this interesting statement. They say, I, I adjure you in the name of Christ whom Paul preaches to go out. It's a mouthful. But an interesting thing happens. The, the demons look at the seven sons that just adjured them to exit the man they say, Jesus we know, Paul we've heard of, but who are you? Talk about an uh-oh moment. But just to think about that for a second, that Paul had had such a profound impact within the kingdom of God that he's water cooler conversation around hell's corporate offices. They've heard of Paul. They've heard of what God is doing in Paul's life. But these seven sons, they go, who, who are you? And this is, this is what's in the Bible. This is what's recorded in Scripture that says the, the demon-possessed man proceeds to beat the seven sons of Sceva, that they leave the house. And this is what Scripture says, naked and wounded. Like, it's one thing to lose a fight. It's another thing to lose your draws in the fight. That's how bad they got beat. But what's crazy is the, the city sees this, and literally revival just explodes. The people begin to bring all of their sinful things, and they begin to burn it because they recognize the power and authority of God. So much so that even at the end of Acts 19, that it's, it, it, it records for us the, the silversmiths there who would make idols for the people, they revolt against Paul. Why? Because there was no business left to be had. 
that the gospel had had such a profound impact in Ephesus that there wasn't even a market for an idol salesman anymore. That's a profound impact of the gospel, is it not? So I absolutely love the birth of the church at Ephesus. And I, I mention that because when we look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there's, there's really not this situation that he's trying to address. Like we, we looked at First and Second Corinthians last week, and there's a lot going on in the church that Paul has to address. And even, even Romans, there's really not a situation that he's trying to address, but he's trying to build this relationship with them. That's really not there in Ephesians. But really, what Paul is trying to do, I'm going to go ahead and give you the down low early. What Paul's trying to do in his prayers for the Ephesians is he wants them to see the power and might of God in their everyday life. That's Paul's prayer in both prayers we're going to look at. He wants them to see how mighty and how powerful God really is. So in Ephesians 1, we're going to read the text and then we'll notice a few things. So going, going down to verse 15, <coughs> Paul says, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father God, we do come to you and we give you this time. Let this continue to be an act of our worship as we break open your word and see what you have for us today. God, hide me behind the cross. Let it be your word and your word alone and let it be glorifying to you and edifying to your saints. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So two things. So there's two prayers in the book of Ephesians. And so we're looking at the first one here. In Ephesians 1, 15, was it 15 through 23? And then we'll look at Ephesians 3 in just a moment. But there's two things and the kind of the same theme in both. But in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, it's really a prayer for their identity in Christ. A prayer for their identity in Christ. And so going back to verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my 
prayers. So again, we saw this in Romans, right? That Paul has heard of their faith and gives thanks for their faith. And he has not ceased to remember them in his prayers. But he's heard of their faith and their love toward all the saints. And so notice what Paul prays for. That the, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So what does he pray for? He prays for wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. He's going, I'm going to pray for you, but there's, understand what I'm praying for you about. I'm praying that God would give you this wisdom, that God would grant you this knowledge. And what specifically is he talking about? He gives three things, having your hearts enlightened. Notice this, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So what's the first thing Paul prays for that they would have wisdom and knowledge of? Hope. Now here's the reality, church. In the English language, we have absolutely neutered the word hope. Because when we say we hope for something, what do we think of? We think of a dream or a wish, right? Like I hope I get the promotion. I hope I pass the test. I hope this happens. I hope that happens. I hope I get the raise. Doesn't sound very sure, does it? But when scripture speaks of hope, it's speaking of a grand expectation of a sure future reality. Not a wish or a dream. And so what is Paul praying for? That they would understand this great expectation in their life, that they would have it. That when they go throughout seasons of life, they have hope. They have a great expectation of what God has for them. And not only what God has for them, but what God is capable of doing in their lives. They can have hope. In the same way, church, you and I, we have hope today. Not that we have a wish or, or a, 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 this, uh, this weak idea of a wish, but that we have a great expectation of what Christ is capable of doing in our lives. So he says the wisdom to know this hope. But not only that, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, but notice this, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So there's wisdom to know hope, but wisdom to know value. Because notice exactly how Paul words this. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He does not say the riches of his glorious inheritance for the saints, but in the saints. 
And to wrap our minds around what Paul is talking about, we, we have to understand the, the overarching plan of salvation. That when it comes to the church, we are a redeemed people of God. That God redeems us through what? The sacrificial work of the Son. And then seals us with the Spirit. And what's the end result? That the Father gifts the church back to the Son in recognition of his sacrificial work. So what is Paul praying for? He goes, understand your value as a redeemed child of God. The immeasurable riches of his inheritance in his saints. That if you are the riches of his inheritance, do you think he's going to neglect you or forget you? So he says, understand who you are in Christ. Understand your identity as a believer. So wisdom to know value, but then lastly, wisdom to know his power. So what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Do you think Paul is trying to drive home a point here? He could have easily said, I want you to understand God is strong and God is mighty, but go back and look again at what Paul says. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Well, Paul, how would you quantify that? It's immeasurable. Paul, what's the limit to the power of God? It's immeasurable, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great mind. Understand today, church, that we have a God who is immeasurably powerful, that is great and mighty. And not only that, he is at work in that. So what does, he, what does he pray for them? That they would know hope and know value and know his power. But not only that, Paul continues into a description of how we know God is powerful. So what's the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How powerful is God? He took Christ who was dead and in the tomb and resurrected him back to life. How powerful is God? He defeated the grave. That's how immeasurable he is. We're preparing to celebrate that in a few weeks, right? His immeasurable power that he defeated the grave. And so tell me, if God can conquer the grave, what can't he do in your life? 
One of the things I love to say is you can come to me with any type of problem. Maybe it's a sin you're struggling with. Maybe it's a particular situation in life you're dealing with. And one of the things I love to say is I can guarantee that problem is not as big a problem as a dead Jesus is. I don't care what it is you're facing, what it is you're struggling with, that problem is not bigger than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords lying in a tomb. And if God can handle the King of Kings lying in the tomb, what can't he handle in your life? That's his power. But Paul does it in there. He continues that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and all of that seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That how powerful is God? Not only did he resurrect Christ from the grave, but he ascended Christ and is now seated at his right hand. Christ isn't active in a struggle. He is seated and everything is subjected to him. That his feet are propped up on everything that's subjected to him. It's not an active struggle for Christ. But he has been seated and everything has been placed subject to him. And he has been given the church where he is the head of the body. And he said, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This last phrase is rather interesting. We know the church is the body, but this last phrase, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is the representation of the church? That we are the fullness of the one who is all powerful. That we are the instrument that Christ uses to demonstrate his power and his glory throughout the nations. It's what the church is. But the reality is, how often do we actually see that? How often do we actually understand that this is our identity as believers? This is what he's called us to. And so what is Paul really trying to pray for here in Ephesians 1? He's really trying to pray for, listen, church, I want you to understand who you are in Christ. What would happen if we got it? What would happen if you and I, all of a sudden the light bulb went off and went, this is who we are in Christ. This is our identity in Christ. You heard me all the way back in December talk about a victorious church that charges the gates of hell. How do you get there? You don't get there by inspirational and motivational sermons. You don't get there by that. 
You get there by looking at the scripture and going, this is who I am in Christ. That's how you become that church. I understand who I am in Christ. And I understand his immeasurable power and his great might. And I understand that. So Paul's praying that they would understand their identity. But then quickly flipping to Ephesians 3. Short distance. A little bit shorter in Ephesians 3. So in Ephesians 1, Paul prays for their identity in Christ. But in Ephesians 2, Paul prays for their involvement in Christ. So going back to verse 14 in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Notice that this is just, this is a rabbit trail. I'm going to chase it for a second. And hopefully when I get to the end of it, we can skin it and eat it. One of the things I love, I was just studying this week. One of the big things about Ephesus was kind of the magical dark arts background. And that's what we see in Acts 19. They take all of their books and they begin to burn them because they've seen actual power. They've seen God do something mighty in their city and in their lives. And so they take all of those books that they had been trying to summon power from supernatural sources and they begin to burn those books. But one of the things that was common is the the reciting names. As though if I recite the right name of a particular spell or of a particular deity, that there would be some type of power and influence associated with it. So what is Paul saying here? I bow my knees before the Father of whom every name comes from. That there is a name that is above every name. And you can try your hardest to go to one of those spell books and summon a name. But there is a name that's above every name. So what is Paul beginning his prayer by saying? The supremacy of God. So he begins his prayer. He says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So what's Paul praying for? He's praying for strength. But what is the supply of that strength? That according to the riches of his glory. Brothers and sisters, that is not a small supply. God does not have to ration the riches of his glory. God doesn't have the bank account wondering, I don't know that I can supply strength right now. You got to understand the economy of heaven is in inflation. God's not looking at that. But according to the riches of his glory, he's supplying all that we need and being strengthened 
in the inner being. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I love this term dwell. It, it li quite literally just means to take up residence. So what is Paul praying for the church? That Christ would literally just take up residence in your heart. That Christ would dwell there. That it's not a tug of war of let me have control for a little while, let you have control for a little while, but Christ, this space is yours. And it's yours alone. So that Christ may dwell, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Now, if you're an English person, you may notice this verse sounds very odd. Because there's not an object at the end of that sentence. So what is Paul talking about? He's continuing on this theme of love. And so what is he praying for? That you would have the strength to comprehend what all the saints was the breadth and length and height and depth of what? God's love. Consider that for a moment. That Paul is praying for the church. That they would have the strength to comprehend just how wide the love of God is, just how high the love of God is, just how deep the love of God is. Have you ever just paused and considered that? Like we understand the love of God. But have you ever just paused to consider how deep the love of God is? What about how wide it is? What about how high it is and its breadth? That's what Paul's praying for, that they would know this, experience this. So that they would come to know the strength to comprehend. And then verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. <coughs> so again, continuing on this theme of knowing the love of Christ. And it's interesting that he says to know this, this love of Christ, I want you to know the love of Christ, but how does he describe the love of Christ? It surpasses knowledge. Like you and I will never get to the point in our Christian lives where we haven't figured out that we'll be able to say, this is the love of Christ. Here's the exact dimensions of the love of Christ. Why? Because it surpasses knowledge. It's never going to make full sense to us. Because it surpasses Knowledge, but not only does he say that, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
This idea of fullness is the idea of completeness. That when, when do you and I understand the fullness of God? When we understand in God, we have all that we need. That in Christ, I am not lacking anything. That no matter what, Christ is enough. That's what it means to be filled. That Christ is enough. That I have the fullness of God when I understand I am complete and whole and satisfied in him and in him alone. That's when I'm filled with the fullness of God. But then he continues in this beautiful, really doxology that I know Clint called your attention to multiple times last year. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Just think about that for a moment. Paul ends his prayer to glorify God. He goes, okay, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think that when you go to God in prayer, he is able to do more than you ask. But not only is God able to do more than you ask, he's able to do more than you can think. That's how powerful he is. That's how mighty he is. That he is able to do that, notice, but then he says, according to the power at work within us. Going back to understanding the power that's at work. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So how does Paul end? By glorifying God. And here's, so in chapter 1, Paul prays that they would understand their identity in Christ. But in chapter 3, he prays that they would understand their involvement in Christ. That what I mean by involvement is the outworking of our understanding and our identity in Christ. And so if I truly understand that God is all-powerful, if I truly understand that, then what hinders me when I go to him in prayer? Let's just be honest, church. I don't know why I say that. It's not like I've been dishonest up to this point. Let's just be transparent. We oftentimes, when we go to God in prayer, we limit God to what we think is logical or rational. I'll be honest, I do it. Like, I'm in the middle of working on a dissertation for a PhD, and so every, my brain is always methodology, what is the logical step in this argumentation, and all of that stuff. 
And sometimes if I'm not careful, that can slip over into my prayer life and think, okay, God, I need to pray for this, but here's the logical constraints on that. And so I'm going to pray within this box. God, would you work within this? And so what is Paul praying for the church? That based on their understanding of who God is, don't pray in the box. Trust him that he is capable of doing immeasurably more than we can ask or think. That's understanding our identity and moving into our involvement with Christ. That's the outworking of identity. That God is not bound or constrained. Understand this, church. When it comes to Airline Baptist Church, God is not bound or constrained by our budget. God is not bound or constrained by our staff. God is not bound or constrained by location. God is not bound or constrained by Sunday school teachers. God is not bound or constrained by anything that we can think of would bind or constrain God. But do those things reflect in our prayer life? When we pray for the church, are we praying to a God who is immeasurably powerful? Or are we praying to a God that we have placed binds and constraints on? So Paul's in there going, understand this, when I pray, I'm praying to a God who is immeasurably powerful, who can do far more than we can ask or think. And so this brings us this morning to our central idea, and it's this. The Christian life is growing in our understanding of our identity in Christ and the outworking of our involvement in Christ. Let me say that again. The Christian life is is growing in our understanding of our identity in Christ and the outworking of our involvement in Christ. What is the Christian life? It's me understanding more and more who I am in Christ and how that works its way into my life, my involvement in him. That's the Christian life. Because there's never going to be a day where I get to the bottom of my identity in Christ and what that means and how it works. And there's never going to be a day where I get to the point where I have the outworking and the involvement in Christ figured out. It's a constant growth. And that's what Paul is praying for. So as the band comes back to the stage and we get ready to close this morning. Just thinking through this, I I just want you to picture this for just a moment. Imagine you you come up to the church next week and in the church parking lot is parked a brand new 2023 Chevy 3500 HD dually diesel. I don't know if those words go together, but it sounds good. 
that I went and I took out a small mortgage to purchase. You come up to me and you go, Pastor Zach, is that, is that your truck? Yes, it is. The Lord has blessed me with this truck. And you go, man, that, that's, what's the towing capacity on that? It's pretty hefty. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to, are you trying to haul farm equipment? No, don't want to haul any farm equipment. You're pulling trailers somewhere. No, I'm not, not pulling any trailers. Well, what, what heavy machinery are you trying to pull with that truck? I, I, I don't even have a hitch on the back. But why on earth would you buy that truck? I just needed something to get the girls back and forth to daycare. You would look at me like I was crazy, right? Why would you spend all of that money to get that kind of truck just so you can take the girls back and forth to daycare? But here's the reality, church. How often has God taken us and he saved us and he redeemed us and in our little pipsqueak souls, he took the Holy Spirit and shoved it down inside of us and sealed us and redeemed us and restored us. For what? To get us to church on Sundays and Wednesdays most weeks? Or did he do all of that for something greater? Because I need you to hear me this morning. In and of yourself, you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes to be the Christian God has called you to be. You don't have what it takes to be the leader God has called you to be. You don't have what it takes to be the husband and the father God called you to be. You don't have what it takes to be the wife or the mother that God has called you to be. You don't have what it takes. But he didn't leave you alone. That when he saved you, he didn't look at you and go, okay, I've got you to this point. Now you go figure it out. He didn't leave you there, but he saved you and he sealed you and placed his spirit inside of you. So that when it comes to today, you may not have what it takes. Because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you now, there is power to be the Christian God has called you to be. There is power to be the leader God has called you to be. There's power to be the husband and the father that God has called you to be. There's power to be the wife and the mother that God has called you to be. You can't do it yourself, but in him, there's more than you need. So church, what if we lived day to day with that recognition that we leaned into that, that we leaned in, said, God, would you make me aware of your power and your might? Would you help me understand who I am in 
Help me understand my identity. And let me see how my identity makes its way out into my life. So what if we prayed for that as individuals? But not only that, what if we prayed for that as a church? God, here as a church at Airline Baptist Church, would you help us to see you as a God who's not constrained by our own boxes? Help us to see you as a God who is immeasurably powerful. What if that was our prayer? And we leaned into that, not only as individuals, but as a corporate body of believers. So as we close, I invite you, just as we've done the past few weeks, to pray with Paul. Let's go to God and just pray what Paul prayed. That we prayed, God, let me see your power and your might and your greatness. And not only that, God, let us see it in a corporate body of believers. Would you join me in praying for that? today. I'm going to pray for us. If you need to come pray, this altar is open. Clint will be over here. I'll be standing this side. But let's pray as Paul prayed today. Let's pray. Father God, we do come to you and we thank you and give you praise. Thank you for your word that we've read and studied. God, help us to be a people that is aware of your immeasurable strength and greatness that you're glorified in our weakness because it's in our weakness we see your strength and your might. So God, help us to be a church that leans into your power and seeks your greatness and your glory. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we respond today? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is able through the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone 
is he worthy <laughs> he is amen <laughs> worthy of more than we can ever give him amen for all the things that he has done and if he'd never done anything he'd still be worthy of all of our praise amen God what a mighty mighty God we serve hey thank you all this morning thank you guys wonderful worship this morning good singing y'all sounded good today thank y'all so much for being here Hope you have a blessed, blessed week. Before you go, let me, let me make mention of this. This is mainly for our parents of students. Coming up the end of this month, March 24th, 25th, 26th, we're having something here called rain. Not that we hadn't had some. That's a joke, right? Y'all supposed to laugh. Rain. It's our D-Now weekend. We're actually having it here this year on campus. We got uh, host homes lined up. We've got... Uh, everything ready for that. We have a very special guest speaker for our students. Uh, some guy, Zach Johnson, I think, is pre <laughs> preaching to our students. Parents, what I need you to do, grab one of these. If you don't have one already, you can scan this little QR code on the side. I need you to register the students. Get them on board. All right? Let's get the names in. These need to be done quickly. <laughs> By the end of the month, okay, February 28th, if we can, because registration's cheaper, right, Taylor? All right. So get one of those. Let's get their kids' names on here. It's going to be a great weekend, and please sign, sign them up for that. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. Y'all, let's pray together, and we'll go. God, it's just been good to be in your house today, Lord, and it's been encouraging, inspiring to hear the word to lift our voices together and praise you because, God, you are worthy worthy of all the praise we can give you, worthy of everything we can do, God. And we want, to, we want to bring you glory. Let everything we do glorify you and lift you up. We don't want to be accused of not giving you the glory, God, for everything. And God, when we pray, help us to seek your power. Understanding, God, that the more we know about you, the more that we know that you are capable of. And God, there's nothing we know you're incapable of. So God, help us to pray that way, to see your power 
to see your goodness, to see, God, how mighty you are. I challenge our church family this morning as I pray to you, God, that this week we would pray in a way that's way above anything, God, we can think outside that box, as Pastor Zach said this morning. Pray that we would all see your glory. Give us an opportunity to see that this week, God. I just Each one of us in this room have things going on that, God, we need your touch and we need, your, we need you to move in God for us. And, and God, I'm, I'm afraid we've been praying lacking the understanding of just how capable you are to do a whole lot more than we think we need. So God, help us to pray that way and see you move in our lives this week. We love you. Thank you. Guide us. Keep us mindful of you in all that we do. Give us opportunities to share the gospel with those around us. Give us the boldness to speak out. For your honor, for your glory, we do it all. In Jesus' name, amen.